If, uh, well, I hate all Broadway. You see, I don't want to sit next to him next time. <laughs> next time I want to sit on the trunk. We can all rotate, we can rotate trunk. Welcome to Adagio for Things. I am one third of your hosts, Michael. Oh, I'm saying my name? Oh, I'm Will. And this guy. Me? Yeah, well, say your name. Jason Statham. Sure. Uh, Spencer Statham. I've never gotten Jason Statham before. I don't think you look like him. I think Spencer's demeanor just exudes a certain Stathamness, a certain ability to take down a megalodon. In the open sea, I have sea. taken down uh, extinct sea creatures before. See, uh, as always, be sure to subscribe and please leave a review on iTunes. And don't forget to take a look at our Spotify playlist. It gives you an audible example of all of the pieces and composers we've discussed on today's episode. Today on Adagio for Things, we're talking about classical music CDs for relaxation. What their purpose is, <laughs> where they come from, why they're purchased, who the fuck listens to them, and whether or not they're any good. Like- the laughter in the background has nothing to do with what I'm saying. <laughs> nope. Can we just talk about... <laughs> How many? Okay, I don't know if you found this. <laughs> there are so many of these fucking albums. <laughs> there are like, like I could the shit. I dug and dug and dug, and I didn't find a bottom. Like they are endless. <clears throat> they are, endless. and I only looked through ones that were that came out in like the last ten years. Like and the YouTube playlists, <gasps> endless, and they're all hours long. <laughs> and they and oh, I think that. They're that will all, come up again later. Yeah. The hours long YouTube playlist. For for anyone who doesn't know, there's all the there's a there are not only albums but playlists on Spotify and videos on YouTube and that promote classical music solely for the purpose of relaxation, calming your nerves, unwinding, escaping the worries of the day. Just to start off. What do you, have you guys ever listened to these or before we were planning the episode or do you have yeah. any preconceived opinions so that we're setting our prejudices out on the table? Sure, yeah. Oh yeah, I use them all. I I love them. Like the relaxing, the relaxing tracks. channels. Yeah. It's not necessarily always classical music, but they'll have very Oh, you've used the relaxing channels in general. Yeah. What like, other genres do they use? They use a lot of um like electronic, but like their name the Marconi Union. They have some a, a track that I like that's like ten hours long. You just let it go. It's very relaxing. Sure. I'll put them on at work. Oh yeah. I don't want to hear my Michael coworkers. is the only one with a soul crushing nine to five. Oh yeah, that's yeah. true. I need sometimes I'll just put on rain sounds to remind Sometimes these have outside. both on the CD. Sometimes I'll put on um I'll put on like four or five different relaxation CDs. <laughs> so I'll get like. Sounds of the Rainforest and Wales and Mozart um, and like distant Wait, street noise. At the same time? 
<clears throat> yeah. So I'm just getting maximum relaxation. Sometimes I'm so relaxed, my nose starts to bleed. <laughs> that might just be the coke. I'm so fucking relaxed. <laughs> I'm so relaxed I could rip my fingernails out. I just think they're really obnoxious. Like, they always, not only are they pandery, like saying, you know that peace of mind or like that, you know that hole in your heart that you're trying to fill? Here's the answer. <laughs> Just an hour of relaxation. But then on top of that, it's always like really poorly done, which we'll get into later. But it's they're so bad. But so I guess my real question is, what's your opinion of how these types of CDs uh, portray classical music to the masses, to the people who would stumble upon them? While they're, you know, waiting on the cashier at Barnes and Noble or, you know, looking around Amazon for a gift for somebody or they're Googling classical music for the first time ever. So the first thing that comes up is music for relaxation or focus or study music or whatever. You know, we, we all listen to music for therapeutic purposes, but the idea that that's like the primary metadata for what classical music is, is like, oh, Bach, that's relaxing. Like, that's fucking stupid mm-hmm. because if I had to name a hundred things, like a, a hundred words that I associate with Bach or Mozart or Haydn, it would never be relaxing because they didn't write any music for relaxation. No one has like mm-hmm. have any of us written music to just, I hope someone listens to this so they can unwind. Would any of us feel motivated to write that music? I don't think so. And it, I, I mean, if maybe there are composers who've written something with the hope of giving an audience something therapeutic, but I don't think that's what they want the extent of the experience <clears throat> to be. Like, I think they would want, even if it has like some kind of healing quality, I guess what the implication is, is that this is just like wallpaper to go along with your snifter of brandy while you're <laughs> like trying to forget how much you like secretly hate your kids or something like <laughs> I don't actually love Hunter. (laughs) I wouldn't have named him Hunter if I had loved him. Jamrind is fine. (laughs) Curacao will be in in a minute. (laughs) He's kind of the rebel. It's interesting you bring up the point about no one really setting up to write something relaxing from the, the start, which I think is very true for the most part. But I will say that Marconi Union, to go back to it, but the song they wrote weightless i guess they worked with sound therapists to be relaxing and i guess like just from a cursory you know search online it's saying that it's been shown to release anxiety people up to 65 percent so but that's another very specific case where it's ambient music and not to say this is like that they didn't have some deeper purpose to their music but it's not classical music that's being repurposed as correct this uh you know so i think that there is a lot of merit to say that classical music can be relaxing the same as a lot of things can be relaxing so i absolutely am all about using it if that helps i think that's great because i've i've done it i have a problem when i see cds that are completely compiled to be like the top 100 most relaxing classical music pieces because I think it takes the pieces out of context Mm -hmm. and you're lumping them all together to really just be background music. Yeah. Well, it diminishes the val, the actual value of the the pieces that 
are featured because then any other sort of value they had as a whole, because it's usually one movement of something bigger. Those listeners now associate that with it simply being a relaxing piece of music rather than something with any other value. Well, it's also setting you up for the expectation that you're not really supposed to be a critical listener because you're just supposed to be. Oh, yeah. It's in the title. Uh. Yeah, it makes it wallpaper, which that's what yeah, that's like, what brings up the especially the YouTube. Uh, I guess you could call them videos. Usually, it's just like a still shot and like mm-hmm. no, but the the good ones change from like from different stock image to different stock. Oh, image. I saw one that was actually a bunch of like um, drone flyovers of different landscapes, but it actually made it hokier. Oh, <laughs> it made it way cheesier. But the shortest one I could find was two hours. Yeah. Mm. And the longest one was like 10 hours or something of class. And so it was just, it's lumping countless pieces of music into one like utility file that you're just like, just put this on. I don't care. It's white noise. Like it really is diminishing it to white noise so that you don't have to like, I don't know, sit alone with your thoughts or something. (laughs) Is there an argument to be made that there's value in marketing classical music that way if the listener would not have come across those pieces otherwise. I don't think personally, I think the damage done by encouraging the idea that that's all it's good for to whatever size market of listeners that you're, you're doing that to outweighs the added listeners to the genre because those people are no longer going to, or maybe never would have, appreciated like the majority of the music that's there anyway. And the, the music that they're listening to, they're not then to, they're not saying, Oh, box, you know, fourth or orchestral suite. That's cool. I wonder what the other five sound like. (laughs) The other thing is like all of these playlists and CDs, whenever there's a composer named anytime, I didn't come across one that was not Beethoven, Mozart or Bach. They use other composers, but the only times they're named are those three. All three of those composers are people who wrote music that's known for being engaging, subverting your expectations, and being very interesting and having a lot going on. Not necessarily qualities of something that's relaxing. So it kind of proves like the only thing that those three who are ubiquitously named ab- among these CDs, the only thing they have in common is that literally no one will not recognize the names. So that's the only yeah. reason that music is used. So it shows the like just purely commercial purpose <laughs> behind these compilations. I feel like we could name a few composers who you could take most of their works and it would be better suited to relaxation than Bach, mm-hmm. Beethoven and Mozart. Like, a Satie CD. Parrot. Parrot. I have him written down, right? Mm. Yeah. Like the minimalists, like a half of them. I wouldn't say Beethoven's relaxing. I wouldn't. <laughs> okay. We're going to get in this later, but like, I mean, none of that music is, none of it is meant to be relaxing. And if you think right, it's but relaxing, some of it is downright not relaxing and they still include it. It's like, well, it plays on the, the, the idea that classical music is supposed to make you smarter and, it's just relaxing as opposed to like um, Nordic death metal. Okay. While I was researching, I found a CD called baby music, colon classical piano lullabies and rain sounds for baby. 
And it's got like a, a baby and a diaper on it and no reference to music. Um, literally the first track is the first movement of the Moonlight Sonata with rain sounds behind it. it sounds like someone's going to drown their fucking baby is what this sounds like. Like that is a top five depressing piece of music. Uh, yeah, that's definitely not. Track one on baby music, classical piano lullabies for baby. It's like music to hang yourself to. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that wouldn't. That's beautiful, but I. That's not for relaxing. That's for brooding, plotting revenge or something. Maybe all all the all those hits have been so ruined. It's it's so unfair. Like Moonlight and Claire de Lune and Charlize and all those all those pieces are good. And they are on every single one. Not one of them does not have those three that you just mentioned. It's such a shame. A distinction to be made. So if you're talking. On one hand, about relaxation CDs specifically versus CDs that I see a lot of the time that are the top hundred most beautiful pieces of classical music. I would argue there's a see that's a little different. If someone wants to get into classical music, like that's a great resource. Like if you really don't know a lot, like sure. I mean, it's probably mm. not going to give you what any one person would consider like the the be all end all top one hundred or something, but. Yeah, but the, but that's but that's different. That's using that's appreciating music for the sake of music as opposed to ignoring all of its, you know, artistic merit and just using it as a sedative. Yeah. Like here's the difference. There's I was looking around at the Spotify playlists for if you go sort by genre and you go into classical, they have all the playlists listed. What's kind of encouraging at least is I mean, relaxing classical has 223,000 followers, which is a lot. Too many. It's too many, and it, that really kind of sucks. Wow. However, what's encouraging is that it's in third place, basically, in those playlists, uh, with uh, first place being Classical Essentials, and it has 1.3 million followers, which is pretty cool. That means that people are, I mean exploring things without that kind of uh, preconceived notion behind it. That being said, the relaxing playlists still are a few too many and have too many followers. But So I think that's a really good point. I think that it all comes down to what you, as a listener, personally want to achieve from experiencing the music. So I have no problem at all. So it's not a matter of saying that you need to sit down, every single person has to listen to Bach and appreciate the same way. I mean, everyone's going to listen to music and experience a different way and have different levels of appreciation. And I think it's totally fair and reasonable for someone to say, I always find Bach relaxing and I always put on Bach to listen to and it relaxes me. And that's the extent that I want to understand it musically. And that's fair. I have a problem with how it's presented out of the gate. It's giving you a preconceived notion before you even have a chance to listen to it and make that dis- determination if you find it relaxing. Right. It's basically saying all classical music is relaxing when Stravinsky exists. Like those pieces, they are the op- they're not just not really relaxing. They are the opposite of relaxing. They are agitating or exciting or... I think, I think it depends on who, um, I mean, who you are and what your taste in music is because... Probably the most relaxing music to you is always going to be the music you like the most. And if your music is generally agitating, that might still be the most relaxing music to you. Because 
I mean, I just remember. I'm not, like, I'm not convinced. As, as oh, I, I mean, I think I can get when, when I was when I was 14 or 15. I remember falling asleep all the time to Foo Fighters one by one or Nirvana or uh, really? OK Go's first record. Huh. Um, yeah, I love that, that music, or, but I would um, never fall asleep listening to it. Queens of the Stone Age. But, no, I mean that was that was the music I, I wanted to listen to, and it was uh, totally enveloping. So that would steal all of my attention, and I'd fall. I I mean, I fell asleep to that all the time. Hmm. I think it can be very true. I think that it's not only the the type of music, but your personal connection to it. So relaxation yeah. in and of itself is very subjective. To an extent. And, and personal. Yeah. I feel like yeah. most people aren't going to say, you know, let me fall asleep to the sound of breaking glass. But uh, there could be someone. I mean, there could be someone out there that loves <laughs> to smash bottles on their floor while they're trying to fall asleep. I read I read a bunch of studies and or the abstracts of a bunch of studies. <laughs> and it didn't, it didn't it didn't reveal a whole lot about music's uh, sedative qualities really beyond that you're if you're looking to relax and you're looking to put on music classical music or i mean classical era classical music is usually five or ten percent more effective than anything else or nothing and nothing i read made me want to write it down that's why i have so few notes i had a similar thing where i stumbled upon this it was like life hacker or i feel like all the time when this is talked about, it's by some article generator website like Lifehacker or Cracked or something like that. Yeah. Rest yeah, in like peace, they Cracked. Have, they have but they, content. Right. They, they, uh, and people who don't actually know jack shit about the topics that they're writing about and all that. But the, so the one I found, they were saying like, it was like the top five reasons that people who listen to classical music know how to relax better or something like that. One of them linked to a study. They said like the, the heading of this section was like music lovers know that it will relax them. And it linked to a study. And the study was basically like, it was a study, one study from Taiwan. Ta- so Taiwan, Taiwan Lannister. from Taiwan Lannister <laughs> <laughs> said the life hack, uh, thing said that they know the music will help their bodies to relax. And they cited, this paper and it said, um, no, not classical music, but music resulted in significantly better sleep quality in the experimental group, as well as significantly better components of sleep quality, better perceived sleep quality, longer sleep duration, greater sleep efficiency, shorter sleep latency, less sleep disturbance, and less daytime dysfunction. Sleep improved weekly, indicating a cumulative dose effect. So essentially having any sort of noise in the background will help old people sleep. Oh, I think that's so true. Yeah, I mean, it probably is true, but it also has absolutely nothing to do with people liking <laughs> classical music. If you find an article that says something like, blah, 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 Mozart gives you uh, a heightened sense of, you know, informational absorption or whatever, that's always taken <clears throat> like out of context from some clinical term, which is like a paper written by a psychologist could say, you know, it, it gives you a heightened emotional state, but that doesn't mean a super heightened emotional state, just you know, 5% more than what you normally have. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why my theory is that people who type in classical music, piano, relaxation, and then you click on one of those videos that has all those, those all, all six those hours. Words. Yeah. And then there's like 
Laotian <laughs> characters at the end for some reason. Those people don't love anything. They don't have any interests because the only thing they could think of to relax them was some music that they don't actually listen to. Mm. Discussing the Mozart effect, which is somewhat tangential to Should we define that for listeners? What is the Mozart effect? Yes, so the Mozart effect is the perceived increase in intelligence and productivity through listening to Mozart. But the problem is, just like you were saying, things were sensationalized. In this article, even though this isn't necessarily relaxation CDs, I think this most likely played into a lot of the 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 idea of these type of CDs or the superpowers that classical music apparently has. And they based this effect off of one study in the 90s that showed an increase in students' test scores after listening to Mozart. But but it was interesting is it was really just this one specific Mozart piece and the increase was very negligible. So like you were saying that like a 5% increase, something like that can get blown out of proportion. And when I was reading this article, it says that it got so sensationalized that in 1998, the governor of Georgia requested funds to send classical music CDs, and I'm quoting this, to all parents of newborns in the state. And I'm sure that that type of mentality played into the fact that well, if I can get smart listening to Mozart, I can definitely relax more by listening to a classical music CD, even though mm-hmm. it's a non-proven effect. Well, and people don't care about that. They, might, I mean, it's way more exciting to uh, engage um, with something that's that effortlessly uh, makes you smarter, because we fetishize smartness and intelligence, as evidenced by uh, the meteoric rise of Pete Buttigieg. In the rise of like competitive parenting in the last 30 years have adopted this as a method to make sure that their offspring are smarter than the, you know, the next door neighbor's yeah. kids. So if their kid can go to Dalton and like Chesterton's school for good boys and, and yeah. Harvard. And- These parents associate music like Mozart and Beethoven with other art forms like literature and art. Uh, visual arts of the same level. And so therefore that's the one thing that they have a way to get in even earlier in their kids brains Mm -hmm. is like, you know, you can't get them reading any earlier than two years when you can start really beating English into them or, you know, like, yeah, 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 they can put Mozart on in the background. Right. And And that's something that's of a higher level, which that sentiment I would agree with. Yes, it is music of a higher level that you, which is great that they're trying to enrich their kids education. But that, I think that's just where it comes from and a lot of parents are skipping ahead to the step of this is the automatic way to make the kids smarter. Yeah, no, I That's I, like I, saying like reading, you know, Catcher in the Rye to my 3-year-old before bed is going to make them smarter. No, you're going to make them a fucking murderer. Your baby isn't learning how to read music your baby isn't uh evaluating it critically it doesn't matter if you play mozart string quartets for your fucking baby your baby isn't going to go on to harvard because of that like the reason that these studies show that that's the case is because there are babies whose parents give enough of a shit to like try a bunch of different shit to help the kid 
Yeah, yeah. The, that's the well, that's what's actually causing the kid having more success. Yeah, because the kind of parent who believes in the Mozart effect and like plays baby Mozart is the kind of parent who's going to hire tutors for your kids like ASAT tests, which is great. Fine. You're do, what's you're doing something which is fine. That being said, I mean you're doing something that can't escape, that you can't you probably can't escape, especially in the, in the city, but what trying too hard? Uh yeah. So I'm going to share a little bit about what I found as real life examples of classical relaxation CDs. And I want to lead up to my personal favorite. Okay. But we'll get there. So this is called 50 Classics for Relaxation. Mm. And it's got a beautiful picture of a beach. So here's an example of why the music's almost not important at this point. Because all you have to know is it's an album of 50 classical relaxation pieces. And it doesn't matter what's on there. The music is less important than... There's no track list? Than the picture of the beach. I am not seeing any track list. All right, keep going. This one's called Baby's Relaxation for Baby and Parents. One thing I happen to notice is whenever there's music for babies, they always double down on the word baby. (laughs) It's almost always like baby music for babies. That's a classical. Or classical for baby Mozart for your baby. Does your, your baby need to so relax? Relaxing work. baby music for your baby's hard work day. You know, take your baby to the baby spa. Well, <laughs> this one doesn't necessarily <laughs> specify classical music, but I just had to bring it up because it's this delightful cover of a very bad Photoshop job of a baby on top of a pink moon sky background with Michael, two. Michael, it's an audio podcast. I'm describing it. I know. For our listeners. Okay. Uh, here's cello for, for relaxation. I really hope this has a track list. Nope. Cello is a good smart person's instrument. Sure is. Uh, you know, there's the one track I always found uh, while looking through all of these. It's almost ubiquitous. The Bach cello suite in G major, which uh, <laughs> my wife likes to call the cello music of progress. Because it's in every car commercial and PBS ad since like 1987. Yes. It's wrong key and probably all wrong notes, but you get the idea. I think no, that was that's. <laughs> this is the sound of you relaxing and getting smarter and getting a good grade and driving a car you love. Yeah, it's a Lexus. Anyway, back I'm on gonna, target. That was, <coughs> if anyone's interested all of those cds i just mentioned can be bought at your local target yeah give us your give us your my absolute favorite is sleep sound in jesus gentle lullabies (laughs) i like that you got southern for a second (laughs) sleep sound jesus well you have to if you say jesus sleep sound jesus sleep sound in jesus gentle lullabies for baby and they never one, say your baby. Did you notice there? It's always like for baby. Why isn't it babies? Why is it always singular? It's like how Michael talks you to You lost dog. all the others. It is for baby. <laughs> now, I have to be it's fair. It's baby. This is. Yeah. <laughs> I love animals. This is not a classical CD, so it <clears throat> might not technically qualify, but I think that track number nine makes up for it. And. Is all you need to know as to why this should be uh, on the top of everyone's list. Because track nine for your baby is he grants sleeps to those he loves. So if you're not able to fall asleep, <laughs> fuck you. Jesus doesn't love you. It's because you, you haven't repented. 
It's a lullaby for the unborn. Jesus, don't love your baby. I'm going to punish you by making you stay awake till you die. That's an actual disease. You go 11 days without sleep, you're going to die, motherfucker. Best Jesus. 14 is hold me gently. Is that that the end of a Jesus Jesus. written email? Best Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. I found a newer version that's got some more on here. (coughs) Number one is shut your lamps. (laughs) <laughs> Lisa, shut your lamps. And then it concludes with track 17 is just a question. What is a tear? Or it could be what is a tear? Is because a, we really don't know in context. Yikes. But I'm going to assume it's what is a tear. Is that baby a, a tear? <laughs> 17 gentle lullabies for your, for your unplanned baby. <laughs> so this brings me into my uh, the area I looked into a little bit. I kind of explored the uh, the different variants on this because as you delve into things, there aren't just classical music for relaxation. There's a whole bunch of kind of subgenre of subgenres of these CDs. So there is classical music for relaxation, which is what tends to be the like two and a half hour compilation video on YouTube, which is like gallant, snooty ass classical music, like you know. Baccarini and Vivaldi and that shit. Um, but there's also a whole bunch of other, basically I've narrowed this down to a few other subcategories. Uh, so in addition to classical music for relaxation, there's also classical music for stress relief, which is a big one. Classical music for sleep. These are obviously related to relaxation, but then there's also classical music for productivity. That's a big one. Cause there's like for focus, uh, or for for general smarts, as you get more and more focused down uh, into focus and smarts, uh, the inverse occurs and you get dumber and dumber shit. Yeah, horseshoe. Yeah, exactly. So for focus, it tends to have, for some reason, like detuned piano playing classical rep is like a very common thing. Music. For focus, you get like Claire de Lune on like a honky tonk. I guess, or like detuned piano because it sounds, I'm guessing because it sounds old. Yeah. No, it just adds to the ambience. Yeah. Like this is what a fucking moron thinks old sounds like. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, or actually, no, that's not even true. It's, this is what a dipshit producer thinks that his moron consumers are are going to think old sounds. Like. It, it, it shows what the like people making this think of the people consuming it, not of the actual intelligence of the people consuming it. So yeah. if you've bought that or listened to that, this is not a mark against you, although it kind of is. And then classical music for smarts is basically like <laughs> whenever you see those or for intelligent boosting intelligence, it's always the classical repertoire that it's like the most emotionally distilled classical music ever. Where it's basically like, Mm -hmm. you might as well call it classical music for serial killers. Because all of these smarts uh, compilations share like the same things. Like Gary Oldman in Leon the Professional knows all about like Beethoven piano sonatas. And those are all over these ones. And like basically all the things from like Silence of the Lambs and Clockwork Orange and all the like it has that Mm -hmm. same sort of bent to it. So, So the other one is classical music for kids, which Michael, you you found also, which was really funny. The, the basically I found that there was 
the ones that you found that were make your kids smarter than the neighbor's kids. But there were also a few that were good, like that were just for like enrichment. That was like Mozart for kids. And that's all it was. And it was literally just like music. That's not going to be like too heavy for a kid, mm-hmm. which is fine. Like, I think yeah. that's, I think that's great. A compilation of classical music that isn't like, like this is what death must feel like. <laughs> Have you <laughs> contemplated loss yet? Three-year-old like it's you don't gateway. need that. So it's, it's all the other stuff that's more lighthearted. And that's great. It's a Has, gateway drug. Get them hooked early. Yeah. Has it, your toddler not it. contemplated loss? <laughs> <laughs> and then, in terms of Spotify playlists that I found, this is just from the top ranked classical genre Spotify playlists. I've broken them into a few categories, actually. For relaxation, you have relaxing classical, which is by far the, the, the winner. Most relaxing classical album in the world, ellipsis ever. Classical lullabies, easy classical, relaxing Chopin, gentle classical from dusk till dawn, which is the Quentin Tarantino uh, playlist, of course. It's a great movie. Great movie. Quiet moment. Gentle piano concertos. Peaceful choral music. And quiet music. These are all just the Spotify pre-made playlists, like made by Spotify. Wait, wait, wait. Quiet music? Quiet music. And and gentle piano concertos. They, notice all the, the adjectives. <laughs> like relaxing, 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 gentle, quiet. Gentle, peaceful, quiet. I don't get the quiet one. It's like, I want to listen to something, but I don't want it to be too loud for the neighbors. Or for yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but just turn the volume down. Then. So the, the, there's the second category I found, which is less extensive, was uh, the studying <coughs> or focus or smarts playlist. And that has intense studying. And then the, the last... Um, sort of subsection of they they have also Spotify has other playlists and they're very good that like to introduce you to different genres of classical music. So I'm not knocking Spotify's well, Spotify has whatever you're looking for. <clears throat> right. They have all and kinds of if you're of everything. looking for bullshit, it has bullshit. Yeah. So there was one last one that was pretty common, which was for some reason uh epic classical music was a big thing. These playlists include epic piano epic classical epics of the romantic era and oh, i just included classical music for metalheads just for fun everything's just epic everything's ep- the word epic specifically it's all for people who know or they don't know anything about classical music but they know that all of their favorite metal was uh influenced, influenced. by classical music oh man i hate that one dolts I did a little experiment on the side. And Michael, I'm sorry if this steps on the toes of your research a little bit. Please step on toes because yours are much better than mine. So I just, I went on Spotify. I typed in the words classical four, like F-O-R, not the number. And these are the albums that came up. Smart Toddlers, Brain Power, Classical for Baby, Reading Music, Bach for Babies, Bach for Study. Box art for meditation, colon, and baby, music for the most essential times. classical music. Beethoven for, your baby. for babies, 
Bach Classical for book piano lovers. for baby Mozart for morning meditation. Classical guitar music Mozart for sleep for and relaxation. Beethoven Classical for relaxing. Classical music for relaxation. Classical piano for baby lullaby. Classical piano for concentration. Classical music for kids. Classical Chopin for classical music for babies. Colon calming baby lullabies. Guitar music. Colon soft guitar music for reading. Classical music for children. For massage music. and relaxation. Lullaby. Native American Asian and classical music for study. Baby music for dining. Piano lullabies and rain sounds for, for baby. And now the ones I skipped. Classical music for dogs. Dog <laughs> music, volume three, colon, classical piano music for dogs. Dog music, colon, classical piano music and sleeping music for dogs. <laughs> I was volume fucking three. <laughs> There were three volumes of dog music, colon, classical piano music for dogs. Apparently, these are for people with, like, stressed out dogs. Like, I I get, I've heard, you know, you leave the radio on for the dog. So this is just kind of funny. (laughs) It takes it to the extreme. My my dog's a hedge fund manager, so when when he comes home, he's he's really stressed out. Yeah, he just needs a scotch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, but on this album, there's a... Two minute and three second rendition of Rhapsody in Blue. Every track on this album is done <laughs> on essentially like the Casio keyboard piano and strength synth patch, which is utter trash. <laughs> like pure garbage. No reverb, no post production of any kind. Like it is obviously like a kid's beginner piano. <laughs> Like electric piano keyboard. <gasps> and they just played this into their MacBook and put it up. Can it, can it's, it, that's what I like you know, that's what I was hoping when I clicked on the album. Doing all I was thinking woof. I was thinking it would be like a Baja men thing where they have like the the dog sound or something doing like <laughs> notes. But no, it was just bad piano music. And they had like on some of these, the, the like Baha the, men are all driving Ubers now. What's kind of cool? What's actually sadder is that the dog albums are of no higher quality than the kid album. <laughs> they really aren't. All of them have this like bad, like synth string and piano thing. A lot of them, which makes it for dogs, <laughs> <laughs> even though it's marketed for babies. Excuse me, for baby. What was fun? There's one group. Uh, Again, the honky tonk detuned piano sound is is all over the place. These are just fucking terrible. That actually led me to to search classical music for cats. You wave. I still want you to please clarify Bach for book lovers. It means it, it's music to listen to while you don't want to pay attention to the music you're listening to. If you're a book lover who loves Bach, which is to say someone who loves reading like two different series of young adult of YA novels. Someone someone who can't not tell someone they meet that they don't own a television. Yeah, yeah that's true. Thank that's you. good. Yeah. I don't own a TV. I only I only read. Oh, oh what do you oh, what do you read? Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Well, I don't I've own read, a TV. I oh, I'm, yeah, I don't I don't own a TV. They've I've read all a, of the Twilight novels though. Yeah. <laughs> that's too old a reference. I don't my know any fav- names. My favorite book my favorite author, probably J.K. Rollins. Yeah. Dan Brown's. Dan Dan Brown. Yeah. 
I like Dan Brown's. He's good. Yeah, but half the people that say that... that <laughs> he lives in New Hampshire. They make smart people there. They do make smart smart people and presidents. One one president. One. Franklin Pierce, the worst president. Oh, second worst. So those were the offshoots. So can we give a little bit more on like... Well, I, I have a suggestion. Mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent of the sandwich method is when you have to say a compliment first... Then a negative and then a compliment. So I think we should all think of two positive things to say about relaxation CDs. No, how about you can do, it has to be a sandwich, but it can go either way. All right. It can be a negative sandwich or a positive sandwich. It can be a shit sandwich or a pre-shit sandwich. I don't have any compliments for those. You have to. You have to. (laughs) You can put two slices of negativity, but you got to say something nice. Okay. Okay. If you're seeking out classical music, that's positive. That's the first slice of bread. Then the meat of the sandwich. Otherwise known as the important part. The important part. (laughs) You've been rooked. You're a fool. (laughs) You listen to dumb music for dumb reasons. And then the other slice of bread is your baby. (laughs) (laughs) all right that that counts as a sandwich okay i'm gonna go the the opposite of the shit sandwich so shit's on the outside (laughs) so it's worse yeah (laughs) this is a complete garbage commercialist cash grab that preys on the lack of knowledge that people have about classical music because of how fucked up our education system is. And people are being had. They're spending their 15 and $20 at a time or 5 and $10 if you're subscription streaming based on crap. Uh, good thing, if you're listening to this, you now know that there's a lot more out there with better content <clears throat> And more integrity and quality than you're used to, but is of the music that you already know you like. So there's a ton more to explore and you can have a grand old time learning new things and finding new music. Piece of shit number two. No matter how good classical music is, it doesn't make you sleep better or learn better or fuck better <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because <laughs> my parents played me Mozart for babies when I was a baby, <laughs> and now and now I can swallow pool balls. <laughs> Jesus Christ! The other side of the shit sandwich is these are by far the worst. Worst, worst recordings of this music ever. It's like if somebody took a co- like recordings of all the drunk bar bands covering Counting Crows that they could find and made compilations out of them and republished them 150 times on Spotify and said, like, this is emotive music. For you to cry to. <laughs> and then you'd go like, wow, 
country-ish pop music from the 90s really was just like deep. But it's also really bad. I better not explore any more of it. <laughs> Cut in a long December. <laughs> it's been long December and it's easy to believe. This year could be better than last. You weren't counting on me having the lyrics to Long December in my back catalog. That was good. Right? That was good. Because Mr. And Jones what's is his one name? thing. Huh? Mr. Jones is one thing, but Long December, that's that's a slightly deeper cut mm-hmm. to have that was the, actually, have the lyrics. Oddly, it's, it's all luck, because that's like the Counting Crows song I knew. So this brings us to the conclusion. And this is a little sandwich that I like to call positive, negative, positive. The song. Positive bread. Is that you're spreading classical music to audiences that may not have heard it in the past. And after all, isn't that a great thing to do if you really think about it? Negative meat in the center. Shit meat. The shit meat. It detracts from all other aspects of the music that one might be or might be open to listening to. And ruins the entire experience. Because you're saying it's going to relax you. It's not a, it's not an audi, audio Vicodin. It's meant to inspire you, not tire you. Bread. Number Good. two. I'm going to do a triple decker. Oh, shit. Club sandwich. Bread. It does acknowledge the emotional power that music has for all of us, whether it's the Counting Crows or Beethoven. Now, back to some more shit meat. I have to agree with you. They do really bad recordings, and they pick really bad selections. A lot of time, they are sections of pieces, and that drives me crazy. If you're going to do it, listen to the whole thing. If you're going to get relaxed, just listen to the whole piece. Why does this feel like the ending of a 1990s TV series episode? All right, I'm going to wrap this up with the last positive piece of bread. Music brings us all together. So why not? And no one's going to end the episode better than that. Uh, Just in case it hasn't been said already, welcome once again to season two of Adagio for Things. Uh, Well, we're already like, what, 35 minutes into the episode. So uh, you've been welcomed, but welcome again. For this, our first episode in season two, I had the distinct pleasure of sitting down with composer Sean Shepard. Sean is originally from Reno, Nevada, though he has also worked for much of his career in New York and now Pittsburgh. His music has been played across the US, Europe, and countless other places. He has received commissions from the New York Philharmonic and worked with many, many other fabulous ensembles. At this point, it might even be easier to simply name the world-class institutions he hasn't worked with. On top of all this, he's a lovely person to talk to who never feels the need to hide his opinions behind a classical, stuffy aesthetic. We get to talking about how he maintains this persona even with today's social media uh, mannerisms, as well as interacting with other composers, other musicians, cooking, cats, art, politics. We went a lot of places. So without further ado, my interview with Sean Shepard. 
I will. I will try to remember to talk into the microphone. Should I be a little closer? No, it's. It'll okay. all sound fine no matter what. These I don't are, know. This what is a beautiful in, setup. Thank you. This is yeah. This is why we met here. I can yeah. bring all this pretty much anywhere, but it's always like it takes a while to set up, and yeah. it's way more fun to just have people show up, and it's like yeah, there's right. tea and then microphones yeah. ready to go. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. This might be a bad idea. More caffeine. Oh, I I need it today. Oh, good. Yeah. This is. I hope strong iced tea. Oh, for, terrific. I love it. Do you want ice? I just uh, realized I didn't bring ice out here. Oh, perfect. Do we want to do a, a introduction or are we? No. So this we is, just we're talk. already going. This we're is going. the okay, show good. already. Okay. So I will not just be small talking anymore. No, I mean, that's fine. It's uh, hopefully giving people an eye into uh, the fact that we're not just uh, powdered wig people. Right. Yeah. For whatever reason, this spring, I've been on a lot of programs where I was the only living one, which is it's in its Isn't own way. Isn't that kind of common? Kind, yeah, it's a kind of an honor. But I've been saying it on stage now. It's like, oh, it's a delight to be alive <laughs> as opposed to poor Schubert. It's funny because now I live in Pittsburgh in a place where there are many fewer or many fewer in my orbit. That uh, And it's a more exotic thing to be a composer mm. that it does require a little bit of... You mean like if there are other composers around, they're in a very different like part of the field or something like that? Or that I'm I'm uh, with people who are not aware of what composers are. Uh, it will, I live in Pittsburgh now, so being in a city where it's a very corporate-minded place. I mean, it was literally built by corporations. Oh, yeah. And so there's this sense of like what you do for a living hmm. and what you do to make money couldn't be something as like esoteric and odd as like writing music on a page. And so there's a lot of like... I'm hmm. I'm describing what I do and people are just staring at me like, but how do you make money? Yeah. <laughs> In a certain way, I think it's kind of healthy to be able to to have to sort of acknowledge the fact that it's a strange thing that we do. Um, yeah. On the other hand, I find it super frustrating because then the, <laughs> people will just like stare you, you know, they just like no bewilderedly conscience. and then just like, why would you even? Okay, bye bye now. <laughs> Kate likes to joke that when we go to parties, we have the person who doesn't know anyone is going to be the more interesting because... All the, you know, engineers and stuff where we go see them are like, oh, wow, what's it like making art or music and that kind of and all of the musicians when we go to those parties, talk to her and are like, what's it like going to you get a check? Yeah. yeah. What's it like making all that money? It's like and you go to work at 9 a.m. Actually, for her, 730 a.m. Yeah. (laughs) They're totally bewildered. (laughs) Both sides are. You know, I work with young composers sometimes and I work with people in various different ways. But I think it's one of those things, especially with composition, there is no way to expect, you know, sort of validation of your great work. Like it mm-hmm. ha- it's going into a sort of deep, you can you can plant a lot of seeds and they are not necessarily going to sprout. I mean, that was the mm-hmm. thing I was always asked the most by performers, like, what's a composition lesson like? And it's yeah, they're all totally confused about. Like, yeah. they're like, I don't even really know what happens in my graduate bassoon, yeah, <laughs> you know, bassoon lesson. They're like, what do you do? Yeah, like, yeah. It, and I feel it's, it is different for every teacher, and I mean, I guess that's true across the board. But I feel like composition way more. It it can be anything. Oh yeah, some, yeah. I mean, therapy session or yeah, even with the same teacher, like teachers that you and I have in common, like some people very often would say like, yeah, sometimes I feel like I just kind of talk through my problems with Bob. I've said this a lot and I, I love this story that Derek Vermel told, but I should tell him at some point I, I stole his story, but he tells the story of his, 
I think it was his first lesson, but it was one of his lessons, like an early lesson this semester with Bill Albright, who I think was like one of the great teachers mm-hmm. you know, in Michigan. And Derek goes into the lesson and he's like, I am going to take advanced ear training this year because I really just have decided my ear is not good and I really... You know, I got to work on it and I got to develop, you know, and he comes up with this huge plan and he's going to really devote all this time. And Bill, I'm trying to think of the actual thing he said, but he just like leaned back in his chair and he goes, okay. Like, I think we oftentimes go into these lessons with these big, you know, big hatched plans and we want a sounding board. And sometimes the kind of most interesting thing a teacher can do is just kind of. Uh, (laughs) or or even just deny you that and be like, you're not getting a sounding board from me. You have to, okay, you want to do this project? Do it. This is something I wanted to bring up just because I think it's an interesting thing. And I don't even know if you have thoughts on it because it's just something I've noticed Mm -hmm. is that when you write for, you know, write a, a blog post or something like that or do interviews and that kind of thing, I've noticed you tend to use words like you refer to orchestras as band bands or you say like instead of you know you'll say like the show or those kinds of things that are definitely like in my mind like I tend to use those because I started out in like garage band grunge rock and roll stuff and people always kind of I feel like that's not the terminology at least at like Juilliard and stuff yeah is that like a conscious thing you do to say like this is a normal thing this is no more highbrow than you know going to other things or is that just your terminology i remember i'm sure there was a time when that kind of graded on me when i would hear people kind of like consciously say like the concert as opposed to no the other way around and say come to our show oh okay and i would be like it's a concert you know maybe that was like my kind of Mm -hmm. you know snobbishness or whatever i do think probably i have absorbed it uncritically because I do think I it feels a little bit more normal to me to mm-hmm. say it's a band. They yeah. they act like a band. Not to say that that is any way better or worse than how an orchestra acts, but they right. they, they they think of themselves as a kind of a troupe. It's right. funny. Uh, I was talking with a friend of mine who's um, in a great orchestra in the Midwest, and he's currently the chairman of the Players Committee. And it's a hard, you know, that's like you're, you're, you're like, it's like family therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, well, you know, but we actually are a family. Like think of themselves as being kind of part, which is something that composers just don't have. So like my, you know, daily, weekly, yearly work world, it has very little to do with actually feeling to be part of something, but also very little to do with sort of all the complications that can come from that. Right. So it doesn't feel so fancy to me anymore. Yeah. It was just, it jumped out to me when I was stalking you leading up to the interview. Because uh, it is something that, like, I find myself saying, but it jumped out because I had never yeah. noticed somebody using that, those terms. And I kind of, I always tend to think, like, the way we talk about ourselves and more importantly, maybe our the music we make is really important to how people perceive the music when they're listening to it. I guess how, what you do, especially today, like online and stuff like social media and, you know, if everything is just congratulations to me, look at yeah. or, you know, or saying I'm so humbled to be yeah. X, Y, Z, right. but, and not giving people any 
avenue to seeing what who you are yeah 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 which is also something i noticed you do a lot on social media you like kind of share like your life (laughs) and your opinions yeah (laughs) i overshare you know especially in facebook where it whether it is or isn't a safe zone i definitely treated it as such Mm -hmm. where i do think over time so this is a weird thing my ex-boyfriend joined me on to facebook when he, in 2004, right, the first year Whoa. that it was existing, yeah. when he was a grad student at Harvard and it was only open to Harvard and I think just Harvard and then it was like just Yale and Princeton and yeah. the lesser Ivies. And he was like, you need this. And I was like, no, the hell I do. I don't care. He joined me and he like put a random, you know, picture of me up there and I'd kind of forgotten about it. And then it would be that time, like, in the early times of Facebook, you would get an email if someone sent you a friend request, and it was only, like, my undergraduate students. I was a grad student, and it was huh. literally, like, Facebook was good for nothing. I didn't have any sense of paying attention to it or whatever. And when it was dumb MySpace? Yeah, like, right, right, right. You can't even customize it. And I, yeah, right. Oh, my gosh, right. Oh, yeah. We could move your box to the other side of the screen. <laughs> yeah. When it kind of grew, like I remember when Juilliard was finally joined, I was like, oh, some of my friends, because I was a master's mm-hmm. student at Juilliard and then I was at Cornell and I, and then it became more and bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more kind of a weird stilted environment. It, and I, I took issue relatively early on when I started seeing my composer colleagues, like the only thing they ever responded to or the only thing they ever posted was sort of professional accolades you yeah. know, that... I am pleased to announce that this is... Or they would only respond, congratulations to you, fine sir, for your wonderful... It's like there's more to life than a resume or our success or lack thereof. There's Mm -hmm. just so much more to life. It's interesting because my husband, I think, has a very different experience with social media in general because he worked in his professional life for a long time as an activist for LGBT causes and those those, uh, conversations he's very often involved in or was watching was just lots of social messaging and 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 political discussion and a very different experience so i think sometimes in that way of like our own well and of course this was the problem with the facebook and the election is that we're yeah. only seeing we're mirrors of our yeah. own yeah but it's, i feel like uh composers specifically are kind of doing some like they're like furthering that problem a little bit because they it seems this way again you're right it could be the algorithm but they're like seems like they're feeling the need to only talk about classical music when they're on Facebook or something like that, where like someone who's particularly funny that, you know, in real life will be funny on Facebook, but every single time it'll be like a deep cut reference about Messian. And you're like, I feel like 80% of the Facebook friends you have from like high school and your family have no clue what the fuck you're talking about. Oh, man. absolutely. And it's like, that's of course, you know, that is you. So like, not you. I mean, but that, that's who they are. And like, yes, you should feel like you can make jokes about stuff that you're interested in. But it's like, yeah, you're putting off this image of like, I do this and only this. And if you don't, then or if then, you don't know yeah, what I'm talking ex- about, it's on you. Yeah, like, it's by definition exclusionary. That's so true. Um, it's a weird little pocket of social mm-hmm. media culture anyway. Yeah. So what are the things that uh, outside of music that help define you or what you do outside of music, what gives it that extra perspective? I think some of this thoughts, some of the things I have to say about it actually come from my own experience of I think I had an extremely lopsided uh, sense of priority 
when I maybe and it was maybe the right age to have it, but which was you know in my late twenties, early thirties when I was first getting work and getting attention, and I, you know, here's my shot, and I will never make one single mistake. Here I go, you know, and it was making me a crazy person, and I eventually did have a kind of a come to Jesus moment, and I'm just like, okay, either I am actually going to lose my mind trying to be all things to all people, or I'm going to decide to look at this with a little bit of and and so. Um, so consequently, I actually I, I went through this, you know, two and a half year block where I really wasn't writing music and, you know, some therapy and some hard, hard thoughts and hard questions. And, you know, having to tell some close friends and a lot of orchestras and, and professional groups, no, I'm sorry, I can't finish this piece, which was very <laughs> talk about humbling um, and having to give money back and all that stuff. Wow. I've come through the whole experience realizing, well, first of all, I actually do like writing music. <laughs> Which That's for free. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I enjoy it. But I for, for I would say for at least five years it was like, you know, 12, 14 hour days or whatever. I was just like, I hate this. Right. And I, right. And it's not for the purpose of the concert or the purpose of the attention or the purpose of any other thing. It's just like, okay, well, the, I actually like spending my days like this. It actually took me. It wasn't even a what I would have considered a byproduct at the time. Like, how do you get okay with this? Like, that's not the point. I don't have to enjoy it. I'm just doing it. Um, and the other thing is, I think I have a lot less time for the sort of schmoozy business stuff. And, uh, and if you're any kind of introvert, like if you're 100% extrovert, you do find that to be fulfilling. But like at a certain point, it does start to feel very slimy and very... Mm. It, the simplest way is that I, I met someone who had a hard time... You know, he, a, a partner. I had a hard time. He, he had a hard time understanding why why my party system was designed the way it was. He was extremely busy in his professional life, and was very driven in his causes and his and his work. But he had a sense of that there were always other things more important than that. I think for a while I had lost that sense that there was. I think I believed there was nothing more important in the music I was writing, and so I think a sense of a sense of a home, a sense of family, a sense of traveling not for work, a sense of doing <laughs> something without without the gain toward a piece or or an idea or a composition. So um, I, I returned to my kind of roots. I grew up in Nevada, and I, I spent more than half my life outdoors until I was age 18, kind of slowly coming back to that. My family has a place in Crescent Butte in Colorado, and I can work there. I have a little like keyboard thing set up, mm -hmm. but I try not to work there. I go and I'm skiing in the winter or I'm, um, you know, crashing on a bike in the summer or <laughs> doing something where I just like, and away from this world in which, you know, a lot of what we do in music is about us, but a lot of what happens in music has nothing to do with us. Maybe it was just the difference between age 30 and age 40, which I'm about to be that I just, I can't, <laughs> I can't live for the premiere anymore. Sondheim has this probably apocryphal quote that somebody, some like young journalist was having dinner with him and he was, he accidentally, he asked him at dinner, he said like, what did you think of my, and he went like, he paused for a second before he said, great. Oh. And Sondheim was just like, God, I know you're young, but your only job tonight on the opening night to say to somebody is that it was amazing. Yeah. Wow. And it's like, you can say what you want after, but opening night, you oh, can't wow. say anything else. And it's like, that is a little vain, but at the same time, he's got a point, like the time for criticism is like there are plenty, yeah, directly to the persons later. Oh, yeah. There was actually, at the New York Philharmonic, I had a piece on the 
big subscription thing. Someone lied about knowing me to get through security to come backstage to tell me that they thought there was a li- he's, he loved the Sturm and Drang, but there was a little too much Sturm. And I just want to be like, Ugh. by the way, <laughs> that's Sturm and stress. You should know what Drang is before you come up and tell me. But like the other thing is like, there is no level to the insanity of people. Oh my god. And like, was it a, like a composer? No, was it? it was oh. just a crazy audience. And well, I was forced either way. But and of course, I was like, "Yeah, bring him back." And then I was like, "I don't know this person." And he was like, "You don't know me, but I have to come and tell." And I, w- I still was like, "So I have become Did much you just more." Just come up with that line and use it regardless of what they what they heard. Like, oh my! Oh. And then I was so, I mean, I was so stunned that I think he, I think he thought his game would be cute or something, but he really like shocked me. And then I was pretty. <laughs> Cold. <laughs> That's some New York crazy right that there. That is. There's always. That's like some oh, um, hello level. At a, uh, <laughs> that is very oh, hello level. Yeah. <laughs> too much tuna. Yep, but he's had too much tuna. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, that, there are, there are al- always sort of levels of crazy, but the New York Philharmonic one was the other one that That's was really nice. crazy. I thought you were going to say like people giving you like the cool piece. Oh yeah. Regardless of con- context, I'm like, oh, that felt so cool. default. Yeah, yeah. Cool piece cool hurts. Piece, cool piece, man. I had one where I I really had to really make it clear what I actually meant because I was I was speaking to a very famous living composer, not American, so we can just like but name it. We'll bleep it. <laughs> no, don't. This was uh, yeah. Oh. And we had known each other. We were very friendly for a long time. Remind. I went up to him and I said, "That was such a gorgeous piece. I loved it." And he said. Thank you. And and I was like, and I, I knew you him were well like, enough. No, and I, I meant that. I grabbed his hand and I was like, I just need you to hear me tell you I really feel sincerely about it. And I think it was really just, un- you know, such a spectacular. Like, I just loved it. And I hope. And he was like, you know what? Thank you for saying. And it was a really nice moment. But oh, I. Wow. Okay. But I was because, of course, he had seen it. He had seen all levels of. Mm-hmm. Sincerity or lack thereof, but I had to make it clear that I I was not blowing smoke, and I really wanted, and I just I literally like stu- stared him in the eyes, and he was like, "Okay, okay, okay, I hear it." And he said, "I do appreciate that, thank you." And he was, and it was that almost feels worse to be the person trying to be sincere, probably, than to be the one who's thinking because he, I mean, he must be used to people just going like, "Oh, it's great." Yeah, I, I, it's one of those things where I wish that wasn't necessarily part of the job. You know, like, you really nailed my tax return, Mr. CPA, and I want you to know <laughs> that I think it couldn't be done. But, you know, like, it, we, there's a lot of jobs in which you don't have that kind of, you know, that being professional and being competent is an expectation. So we don't need to, we don't need to have a moment yeah. backstage to talk about how competent you are. <laughs> <laughs> And when I think back to like when I was 12 years old and I imagine what a composer was and the best moments of their life, none of those things, you know, like going up on stage and taking a bow with a big orchestra is not one of the best moments. <laughs> Showering you with compliments or backhanded ones or whatever, that is not one of the best. The, the best moments are the ones that I think you probably don't see yeah. coming or you're certainly not aware that they were the right you know, where you actually get a, like a little adrenaline r- adrenaline rush because you solved a problem. You could just be putting the extra dark bar line oh, at the yeah, end, which is absolutely. I mean, that is definitely one of the best parts of being a composer. <laughs> I just had a double bar day yesterday, and I. Me too. All right. So Whoa. What, so what are we going to put in this tea here? We're going <laughs> to. There's yeah, whiskey. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> yeah. It's a. St- 
such a strange job, and it's I it also like to be humbly to be humble about it. It's just like an unbelievably great job to have. I'm not it's because, like any you know. I I'm sure an author would say the same thing, or a you know playwright. Like you get to live your ups and downs through your work. Anyone who ha- does authorship for a living of yeah, any kind, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's so much less concession that you need to make oh my gosh like, yeah that, that which bit. also you know it's not just like easier because you can say i'm gonna do whatever the hell i want but it's yeah it's it, all it's more on you too the first i had any um experience with that with collaboration was choreo comp did you take the oh yeah juilliard uh choreographers and composers seminar yeah yeah it was i mean it's wild i can't believe how dramatic it was i still think back like i have never seen that many young adults in tears oh, was, wait, i lucked out with mine we're still friends. It's like, it's the only time it's ever happened. Like, yeah. like he lives pretty close to here, but we still like hang out and stuff. But it's like every, oh ours gosh. was just like, we're, we were like so different yeah, yeah. that there was no way we could butt heads. Yeah. And so we were just like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> and I just didn't understand that things could be so different from one, you know, art form to another in terms of like the process and rehearsal and yeah, when you, so I didn't realize like, the first time you're dealing with the choreographer. It, for those listening, it's a collaborative composers and choreographer program. Everyone's a first timer, and you get thrown in a room like, together. But there are only it's like six of each, and so even, you you don't rip- even count beats the same. It's no. like some there's not. I mean, the oh, pulse yeah. is sometimes not. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, sometimes the pulse is. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's and and for very real reasons, it mm-hmm. takes longer to jump from this place to another, and you yeah. just like, and your limbs are different different lengths. It's all perfectly yeah. But for our way, you know, like every bar is exactly the same. Like it goes from the top of the staff to the bottom, and that's it. We have a and just I mean I I have to say like there were so many things about being in a room with dancers, just marveling at this like the physical vocabulary. Where someone oh, would just yeah. do something without even thinking about it, they were doing it. They had this way of being able to mimic, but then to also know what it looked like. Seen, and I, I worked just, another time with a choreographer and actually saw a lot of the more advanced process of it was developed, and they were teaching it. Mm-hmm. And it would they they had this like weird shorthand where it would be like they just kind of like are going it does this and then it does this, and you see them like barely kind of moving, like an elbow yeah. moves kind of in a little bit and then a hand goes out and then they go okay let's try it and I'm then like, they what are they going to do it? And the, it and the dancers are all doing these like big movements together in sync and i'm like where did, how did what? they it was it is mind-blowing to see yeah. that level of we have all those things as musicians yeah. and but we're not thinking of like that's that's not impressive that's that you just it's just fucking d major who cares yeah. just you know like and so it was interesting to see all of that kind of uh, rendered in such a different physical way i have a okay. last question that i ask oh, sure. people do you have or what is your favorite non-classical piece of music you know i'm a big fan of beck uh, for a lot of reasons but cool. one of them is that he is just like i think very inherently very musical and then also just like brilliant technical wizard mm-hmm. with production right so that you know he knows exactly with with i mean from a long time ago he's been yeah. doing lots of sampling but like I think he really knows how to, you know, whatever the tools are at his disposal with, you know, writing yeah. songs and using the material he uses, but then also 
with the he's a wizard in the um in the uh studio. Yeah. I mean he he literally has a I think he has a Grammy for something he wrote and recorded in a bathroom. Yeah. And that he's still going. I mean he's he kind of yeah. has this weird like Beck is Beck is Beck, but he's still quite around and just I think he just released another album. Yeah. And, um, and it's still relevant. Yeah. Which is, he's not kind of doing the the Rolling Stones thing of like, here's the new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no one right. cares. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it so for some reason it feels like he's kind of an anti rock star, but he's yeah. like a super, you know, kind of spectacular musician. Um That's a good one. Yeah. Do you have a favorite album or uh I like Wedo, but I think That's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. There's a lot of really just song track after track. I'm just like, all right, this one. All right, uh, this one. There's some really hilarious ones. That's I think that's yeah. the one that Sex Games is that the name of that one where it's like the the lyrics oh, in that one are just yeah. so ridiculous and hilarious. <laughs> and I remember when I was at Cornell and my friends and I we were we were saying that they were every line in that song is like an amazing pickup line, but they were <laughs> disgusting and but like. I'll, I think there was one, I'll take you to places that don't exist. <laughs> and that was always like, how's the, news piece, how's the new piece coming? I'll take you to places that don't, don't exist. exist. <laughs> yeah. That'd yeah. be a great, like, that'd be a good social media bit is just to, to be like responses to when people ask me about my music and then just progressively answer people with Beck lyrics. <laughs> with Beck lyrics. Yeah, that would be, because you could... You could definitely carry on a conversation for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all every lyric is also just like so it fits into the song, but could also just have its own weird context. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's one of the few that I actually listen to the lyrics. I have a thing where I'm not I'm almost never hear lyrics. Me uh, too. Yeah. I, I always feel like an alien talking to people about pop music because I'm like, well, the oh, one they, with the yeah, I'm like the one with that cool thing. And they were like, yeah, the one that's really sad. And I'm like, oh, I didn't notice. Is it? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> To make us all feel better about ourselves. That's a, they say that's a sign of musical intelligence in kids. When you ask them, like, do you like do you like the sounds or do you like the words? And the kid mm. says, I don't know the words. I never hear them. that. They're like, oh, try the cello. Aha. So. I never heard that. Is there anything coming up we can like? Yeah. It doesn't really need to be New York. It can be anything you're just like super excited about that's coming up. Well, I have a piece I haven't started, but it's a two minute piece for the Juilliard Percussion Seminar. Oh right, that's July nineteenth. But that's cool. So I'm gonna, I'm excited about that. I haven't written for percussion ensemble ever, but I do love. That always seems like one of the most intimidating things to me. Yeah, I was a bassoonist in high school, which meant I got to play percussion during marching band season. Oh, I I played you know like mallet percussion and stuff, and like I tried for like twenty five seconds to roll in a snare drum, and I was like, okay, well that's not gonna happen. So (laughs) I really gave it my all. Uh, I still have nightmares about like in third grade, like our overzealous band director being like, you're going to buzz roll for three minutes. Don't screw it up. That's right. your idea. I'm like, well, I'm, aud- I'm eight. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then I stopped playing drums. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This piece I wrote for the BSO, um, they're actually releasing it on disc uh, in September, which oh, is really that's, awesome. I mean, that count, like that would be great. Yeah. yeah. So, so that I think it's coming out like early September. I'm not totally sure. Which piece is it? It's called uh, Express Abstractionism. So it'll be my first printed score from Boozy, which will be amazing. Oh, wow. Um, I just We just picked the art for that, which is very exciting. Like you get to... That's cool. Yeah, it's very... That it's, sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm re- that's what I'm probably most excited about coming out, just because... I'm a composer who's written a lot for orchestra. It very often means I can't share the music because of the, 
you know, uh, many, many layers of guardedness, you know, from the musicians themselves to the yeah. unions to, let's say, the music director to the organization's roles. There's a lot of reasons why I can't just throw up any archival recording I get. And so there's, I, I mean, yeah. the vast majority of music I have written cannot, it's not that it hasn't been heard, but it cannot be heard publicly. So this is just one of those times where I'm like, oh, yeah, great, Boston Symphony, sure. <laughs> Feel fine. Just don't don't <laughs> don't worry about releasing it at all. Just yeah, great. That I, I mean, people a I'm sure are gonna like be really excited to hear what we can share with them, especially on the oh, show sure, yeah, yeah. after this and before this that they've already heard. Uh, and you just reminded me of like five million different things I had wanted to ask you. <laughs> now I now really got time. So I guess in the future we'll have well, to. We could patch it in early if you I meant like I know it's like a whole other interview worth whole of stuff. stuff. Great, great. <laughs> so at some point in the future we'll have to talk again or something on Mike, and I'm sure I'll I'll talk to you soon <laughs> at some point. So, but all right. Well, thanks. Well, this was terrific. A lot of fun. It was chatting. a lot of fun. All right. Thanks. That was the phony goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> As always, thank you so much to Sean for sitting down with me for such an extensive interview. We talked even further than what you got to hear. Maybe that'll become available at some point. For now, we'll have to leave you with his music coming up in just a minute. As we mentioned in the interview, Sean has a new album coming out with his piece Express Abstractionism, played by the Boston Symphony Orchestra. That'll be coming out in September, and we will keep you... Uh, so keep an eye out for that. We'll send out uh, some social media links when that becomes available. And if you happen to live in Europe, who knows where our listeners come from? There are a whole bunch of dates coming up uh, where you can hear Sean's music in multiple different countries. So go to his website, seanshepherd.com, to find out about all of those concerts and if any of them are near you. And then a bit of housekeeping for us. Uh, as always... If you haven't done so already, please subscribe and leave a review. Those help us get this podcast to new listeners uh, who haven't found out about it yet and uh, bring it to new people, bring new music to new people, bring our uh, stupid, silly opinions to more people. And check out our uh, Spotify page, follow it there to find playlists that we publish where you can hear all the music we mentioned in every episode. Uh, so there'll be lots of Beck this week. Stay tuned. In uh, two more weeks, we'll be releasing our next episode where we take a deep dive looking at what the Shen Yun Symphony is. If you live anywhere in the United States, you've probably seen those big purple ads everywhere and have no idea what it is. We did quite a bit of digging, went to see the show ourselves, and found some fascinating information on a very uh, bizarre organization. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and then there will be interviews. The format will be a little bit different because we actually came up with so much info that we had to break it out into a two-parter. So that'll be coming out two weeks in a row, uh, starting in a couple weeks. Thanks again for tuning back in to Adagio for Things. We've got eight more episodes coming your way this season. Uh, so this is just the first of many. We are delighted to be back in your podcast feed. And uh, until next time, we leave you now with an excerpt from Sean Shepard's Wanderlust. This is from the first movement titled Prevailing Winds.